0: Hi, and welcome to this week's From the Vault episode from the Magdalene House podcast. The Magdalene House is a recovery community for alcoholic women, known affectionately by many as Maggie's. We are a 501c3 nonprofit organization based in Dallas, Texas. In our From the Vault episodes, we share past podcast releases from our four podcast series, Recover Ed, Studying the Steps, Recovered, Interviews with Alcoholic Women, and hope for the family. Our podcast aims to connect, inspire, and educate alcoholic women, loved ones, and the community to the Magdalene House and the services we offer. We're so glad you're here. Thanks for listening.
1: Hi, guys. My name is Lisa Cronkey and I am a recovered alcoholic. Hi. Hello. So today I'm here, not as the executive director, but I'm here as a family member, as a wife, as a recovered woman who well, for one thing, I put my family through hell. And so, to be able to be here, and to be a, a, a positive influence in any kind of community is something that I never thought I would be a part of. And I and I never thought that Dave would ever want to do a workshop with me for one thing, because <laughs> it was a really bad scene in our house. So I'm really grateful for all the husbands who are here, and the men and the women in our lives who put up with our crap for so long. So. I'm going to let Dave introduce himself, because I can talk, and then I'll talk about the workshop.
2: My name is Dave Cronkey, or as Lacey said, I'm just Lisa's husband, or the guy that hangs around with Lisa. Uh, and uh, I guess I, I did, I did want to be here, which is kind of a, a whole uh, interesting thing for me, because I'll admit early on, I sure didn't want to be around a bunch of drunks. You know, it was... Uh, uh, stereotype and I have just a lot of baggage and stuff in my head about this entire thing and through kind of my own learning and education and honestly just time uh, and, and really being around and seeing the transformation that, that Lisa had it's it's magnetic you know and uh, I still drink sometimes I drink too much still but it's um, but it's you know I like it when he does that actually. <laughs> We're we're still not even close to even, just let me make sure it's clear. Uh, Oh, that's a good way to get the workshop going.
1: Anyway,
2: uh, but I'll I'll still give it a shot, I guess, hopefully. Anyway, but anyway, I'm really happy to be here and and hope uh, hope I can help and provide a little bit of uh, learning and education about my experience and ours.
1: All right, so if you guys, um, you don't have to follow along with the big book, but what we're going to do just to make this workshop just a little bit easier for everybody to follow, we're going to start, we are going to go over chapter nine, the family afterward. So I forgot to say my sobriety day is June 2nd of 07. So for that, I'm really grateful because um, being a textbook alcoholic, and textbook, I mean the big book, that is our curriculum here at the Magdalene House. We don't deter from it. We keep it really simple, we do one thing, and we do one thing well. And so that's why we're going to focus on the big book today. Dave has read the big book, Dave has studied the big book with me, so I would recommend that as a family, and he was very resistant at first. He still refuses to go to Al-Anon, which is okay, because the solution is in the book. And the one thing that we both have learned through this process is that alcoholism is not about alcohol. Alcoholism has nothing to do with alcohol. The problem is different than what I thought it was. And that was an education thing for Dave, too. But the solution, the beautiful thing about the solution, is that it's for everyone. Spiritual principles have been around for thousands of years. We just need a textbook, you know, Spirituality for Dummies, right here, to guide us through it. And the cool thing about it is that when Dave and I studied the book together, he actually went to my group, and my home group, and we studied Dave got to see that too. So did Dave probably want to do it? Well, maybe not. But he took the action anyway because we knew that, and I say this to the one I sponsor all the time, there's Dave's life, there's Lisa's life, and then there's our partnership. In order for our partnership to grow, we had to be really focused on some of the same things. So I was really grateful that he wanted to read the book and study. So as we go through this, um, I'm just going to read, and then Dave is going to chime in of course, um, on some things, because this book was written by a bunch of alcoholics, and sometimes Dave agrees with everything they write, and sometimes he doesn't. So you're going to hear about that. Sometimes
2: it's very obvious who wrote <laughs> <laughs> as, a, yeah. as a family member. Yeah, he's as, like, yeah,
1: yeah like, drunk wrote that, yeah. for sure. <laughs> yeah. So, it's really so, not going to be that easy. Let me just, yeah, yeah, so it's really cool that we can laugh about that, and we can walk through this together because we didn't laugh for a long time. All right, chapter nine, the family afterward. Our women folk have suggested certain attitudes a wife may take with a husband who's recovering. Perhaps they create the impression that he is to be wrapped in cotton wool and placed on a pedestal. Successful readjustment means the opposite. All members of the family should meet upon the common ground of tolerance, understanding, and love. This involves a process of deflation. The alcoholic, his wife, his children, his in-laws, each one is to have fixed ideas about the family's attitude towards himself or herself. Each is interested in having his or her own wishes respected. We find the one member of the family demands that the others concede to him, the more resentful they become. This makes for discord and unhappiness. And why? Is it not because each wants to play the lead? Is it not each trying to arrange the family show to his liking? is it not unconsciously trying is he not unconsciously trying to see what he can take from the family rather than give so i want to stop right there and just a couple of things especially from an alcoholic standpoint this is a process of giving it's a constant process of thinking about others or what can i give to life instead of taking away but that's not just for the alcoholic this is something that dave and i had to learn together the other thing too is that the deflation the process involves uh, th- this involves a process of deflation This is what Bill, historically, Wilson, who's one of the authors of the book, calls a bottom. Like, I always thought a bottom was external stuff that I lose. I go to jail. I lose my family. It can always get worse. I mean, literally, my bottom is dying because it will get worse. That's what the book promises. But the deflation that they're talking about is complete deflation of the ego. Like, I'm out of ideas. And that goes for the family member, too, because Dave tried fear. He tried, don't you love love our kids? Like, what kind of mother are you? All of these things, and it wasn't because he was me. He was in fear trying to get me to do whatever it takes to stop drinking because that's what human nature does. We try every single thing that we can because we don't know what else to do. The deflation of ego is I'm completely out of ideas, and I'm just going to surrender. So I just wanted to point that out because it's for the family too.
2: I'll add real quick, too. I mean, this opening paragraph is really about the early days when, in this case, Lisa came back and, you know, I'll tell you, it's very, very different than it is today. And I clearly recognize that now. It was very awkward. It was very tense. It was really a struggle when Lisa first came back from from rehab for a lot of reasons. You know, uh, my parents had come in to help, you know, with the kids we had had a lot of just really bad stuff had happened while she was actively drinking. And then when she comes back, you know, in some regard, we'll get to this in a minute, you think like everything's gonna be rosy, she's sober. And that's not the case. There's still tons of issues that were still unresolved. And then I'm like, okay, time to take care of the kids. And she's like, gotta to go to a meeting. I'm like, why, what? <laughs> And uh, so I'll just leave it at that. We'll get into more in a minute.
1: Oh, this is such an uncomfortable workshop sometimes. <laughs> All right. Cessation of drinking, this is exactly what Dave was talking about, is but the first step away from a highly strained abnormal condition. A doctor said to us, years of living with an alcoholic is almost sure to make any wife or child neurotic. The entire family is to some extent ill. Let families realize as they start their journey, all will not be fair weather. Each in his turn may be foot sore and may straggle. There will be alluring shortcuts and bypaths down which they may wander and lose their way. Suppose we tell you of some of the obstacles a family will meet. Suppose we suggest that you may, that may be avoided, even converted to good use for others. The family of an alcoholic longs the return of happiness and security. They remember when father or mother, this is kind of wrote, written as a guy, you know that thing was romantic, thoughtful, and successful. Today's life is measured against that of other years, and when it falls short, the family may be unhappy. Family confidence in dad is rising high. The good old days will soon be back, they think, and sometimes they demand that dad bring them back instantly. God, they believe, almost owes them this recompense on a long overdue account. But the head of the family has spent years in pulling down the structures of business, romance, Friendship and health, these things are now ruined or damaged. It will take time to clear away the wreck. Though old buildings will eventually be replaced by finer ones. The new structures will take years to complete. I gotta stop there. I came back from rehab wanting my old life back. Like, I, I just thought that that's what I want. I wanted this, I wanted this, I wanted this, and I kept hearing, you're reborn. Like, if you want, if you want your old life back, then that means you're going to fail again. Like, There's got to be something different, like completely sweep away and something has to be rebuilt. And what I found out was that it's not just a family problem, it's also a family solution. So it's not that my kids were alcoholics or Dave was an alcoholic, it's just that I made them so sick that it became a family problem. And I had to take responsibility for that. We had to start a new life. And it's so weird to say that now because it's the only way that it would work. Like, why would I ever want that old life back? I didn't know what I didn't know.
2: Yeah. My comment on this is that, you know, we we did have kind of a little perfect life in a a way for a while, but as Lisa's drinking accelerated, it got really shitty. And, and (laughs) frankly, over that two years or so, it kind of erased a lot of the happy times. And so, you know, the chapter is talking about, oh, you went right back to happy times. I'm like, I didn't remember that we had happy times. I was so pissed off about the past two years of really heavy drinking and, and, you know, driving with a kid's trunk and carrying her out of another, you know, school function and on and on that I was just like, what happy days. You know, it just, I mean, I was still resentful and, and frankly, and we, you know, it's a joke about a lot of this stuff now, but you know, when she finally went to rehab, as people say, it was as much for me and the family. We needed a break. Like it was, we were exhausted. I was intense. I was intense, I'm intense sober. I'm
1: intense. Sober, as You can imagine. I mean, it was
2: bad. So anyway, um, it's, it's, uh, you definitely have these, these memories, I guess, of, of how you want it to be. And and some of it's probably real and some of it's, you know, kind of surreal, I think, but you know, I guess my point is that it's very normal when someone is first getting sober and first gets back that you still have a lot of issues and memories of the bad, not, not just the good.
1: Perfect. I was delusional. (laughs) I don't think they was. (laughs) All right. Father knows he is to blame. It may take him many seasons of hard work to be restored financially, but he shouldn't be reproached. Perhaps he will never have much money again, but the wise family will admire him for what he is trying to be rather than for what he is trying to get. Now, and then the family will be plagued by specters from the past for the drinking career of almost every alcoholic has been marked by escapades funny and humiliating, shameful and tragic. The first impulse will be to bury these skeletons in the dark closet and padlock the door. The family may be possessed by the idea that future happiness can only be based upon forgetfulness of the past. We think that such a view is self-centered and in direct conflict with the new way of living. This is one of my favorite pages in the whole big book. I read this a lot when I'm um, introducing women for their annual trips, you know, at, at our home group, because the family is usually there. And this is so true for our family. I cry a lot too, so just bear with me on that. Okay, Henry Ford once made a wise remark to the effect that experience is the thing of supreme value in life. This is only true if one is willing to turn past into good account. We grow by our willingness to face and rectify errors and convert them into assets. The alcoholic's past thus becomes the principal asset of the family and frequently is almost the only one. This painful past may be of infinite value to other families still struggling with their problems. We think each family should be relieved, owe something to those who have not, and when the occasion requires, each member of it should be only willing to bring former mistakes, no matter how grievous, out of their hiding places. Showing others who suffer how we were given help is the very thing that makes life seem worthwhile to us now cling to the thought that in god's hands the dark past is the greatest possession you have the key to life and happiness for others and with it you can avert death and misery for them i don't even know how to begin i'm not even going to talk about it now the shame that is in the heart of a mother who's an alcoholic because you think that you love your children And the love of your children should be enough to get you sober. Like I didn't wake up one morning and say today's the day I'm going to drive drunk with my kids. I woke up and said I'm never going to drink again. Ever. And I was drunk by five. And they would come home and he'd think I'd lost my mind. He literally told me I was insane and he was mad. Called me a loser one time. And then I started to believe all this myself. And so that's the predicament of an alcoholic woman who's a mother because you can't live with alcohol, you can't live with it. You want to die, and you know your kids are better off without you. So how can all of that be turned into an asset? It feels like it's futile, it's hopeless. The very thing that can help a woman sitting across from me is that experience. Otherwise, I'm just some blonde chick up here trying to sell you on some steps. But with that experience, this woman trust me. And that's how the shame, that's how God started to remove the shame. It wasn't me praying away. It wasn't me getting sober. It wasn't me rebuilding my relationships with my children. It was literally me turning to God's child, this woman God put in my life, and then all of that got fixed in the background. My relationship with Dave, my relationship with my children, I didn't focus on that. I focused on that. And that's when the pain started to dissipate. And it started to make sense. And it actually started to make sense to my children. Because instead of focusing on them, if I'm focusing on another woman, my boys were watching me work with these families. And they started to see what the purpose of all that was. It's one of my favorite paragraphs. Because it finally started to make sense to me that this wasn't about alcohol. It was about something much bigger than me.
2: I think we're all used to using our experiences and our knowledge to help others, but it's usually in a very positive context. It's, I I have this business experience, let me help you. I can play guitar, let me show you. You can work on a car, let me show you how to do this. But you never apply that to like the crappy things that happen in your life and the things that you are ashamed of or just embarrassed about. And we had a ton of those, you know, and so that's probably for me as the non-alcoholic been one of my bigger transformations, because for the longest time I was embarrassed by Lisa and what had happened and what she went through and what what she you know, did to our family and to me and my ego and my reputation and all this stuff. And, you know, clearly it was like, okay, we'll go do your AA thing. That's fine. But, you know, I, I still got a life here and I'm still upset about how you, you know, you've damaged that. Um, but, you know, little by little, when you'd see Lisa tell her story or talk to somebody or somebody in the neighborhood would reach out and say, you know, you had a drinking problem, right? Or Lisa, like, she got sober, right? And, and so, and I would finally kind of open up that shell and talk about it. And it's like the floodgates open up. I mean, unfortunately, our society, we hide so much stuff like that. You know, we just do. And it's like we're ashamed of it. And man, the minute you finally start talking about it, it's like this immediate bond that so many people need to hear about uh, and share. And so um, that's really been, in my opinion, one of the biggest things that that I've learned is the non-alcoholic, um, and frankly, not just about my experience as the husband of an alcoholic, but even other crappy things that have happened in my life, you know, and things that, that I've done or mistakes that I've made. And when, when you finally do deflate your own ego and are, are able to talk about that stuff, you know, you can connect with people and help people way beyond Teaching them, you know, some other skill or whatever. This is like the real deal.
1: Okay. It is possible to dig up past misdeeds so they become a blight, a veritable plague. For example, we know situations in which the alcoholic or his wife have had love affairs. In the first flush of spiritual experience, they forgave each other and drew closer together. The miracle of reconciliation was at hand then under one provocation or another the aggrieved one would unearth the old affair and angrily cast about its ashes its ashes about a few of us have had these growing pains and they hurt a great deal husband and wives have become obliged to separate for a time until the new perspective new victory over hurt pride can be rewon in most cases the alcoholics survive this ordeal without relapse but not always so we think that unless some good and useful purpose to be served past occurrences should not be discussed
2: let me comment real quick. Okay. <laughs> so a lot of, some of you people know our story, but not everyone does. So this, these two paragraphs are like dead on about what happened with Lisa and I, when she got back, it was still ugly. And I was really not in a good place and really was using a lot of what had happened over the last two years kind of against her. And we would, would kind of use that as leverage, I guess, or whatever I thought it was. Um, and so it was probably three years after you got sober, we actually got divorced. Um, so in, in 2010, we were divorced, and clearly we're not anymore. We actually, I you know, Lisa was kind of on her own spiritual path, and I was not. And uh, I thought that's kind of what I wanted. And-
1: Different and, uh, version of a spiritual yeah, path, okay. Yeah, let's just say that. Yeah, I was a whole and
2: different it, spirit.
1: Yeah, kind of spirit. it wasn't me, I'll yeah. just say that. So,
2: anyway, so we, we can laugh about
1: that now. Yeah. I just can't even believe we laugh about it,
2: but okay, whatever. So, then over <laughs> over time, I think I got my act together and really, as I said at the beginning, was very drawn to this spiritual, the true spiritual fitness that Lisa had, had found, and over time really got myself together. And then we, you know, we reconciled and got back together and we remarried. So it's, it's a wonderful story, but you know, the truth of it is early on, like it was, it was bad. And I, as, as the spouse, I did use a lot of the shit that went down against her. You know, I was still really mad and still really resentful about everything. And in some cases I think it's normal. But it is really damaging. And, and honestly, these two paragraphs, they're they're true whether you're alcoholic or not. You're in any relationship, if you can't forgive, like the whole forgive and forget, if you can't do that, your, your relationship is destined for issues. It just is. If you drag shit back out of the past all the time, you cannot move forward. You cannot have the strength and the this or strong relationship where you're truly honest with one another that it's going to really make a strong relationship so again this is you know kind of relationship 101 but i think the the alcoholic consequences and a lot of the stuff that happened kind of is a spouse gave me a lot of ammunition let's put it that way and and i used it and it did not work out well at all (laughs) uh,
1: well it did for a while yeah (laughs) a couple of things i want to say about this. I was really, really angry in the beginning, and then as time, we separated, and then we got back together, and then we got divorced. The second time I went through it, we were in our lawyer's office, and even the lawyer said to us, God, you guys get along better than most married people I know, (laughs) because we we were okay with getting divorced, and we really had resolved the fact that we were going to be there for the kids. That was our focus. The first time we were pissed, the second time we were there. So then uh, three years later, Dave comes knocking on my door, got, has this letter.
2: Well, I started knocking like well, a yeah. year later.
1: Yeah, so. but I didn't answer. Anyway, so.
2: Oh, uh, uh, you kind of cracked the door. No, I didn't. You looked
1: through the people. I was somebody else. Anyway, so anyway, I, so I really was. It was, it was it, I can't believe I'm saying this. Anyway, so, but he sat across from me from the kitchen table I'll never forget it because I just didn't think he could change. You know, you hear all these euphemisms or all these things that, you know, once you're a certain way, you just can't ever change. Right. And so he read this letter to me. It was a beautiful letter. It was a men's letter. Like he made fun of AA for so long, told me that I just got another addiction. And I'm like, I don't have a choice because I'm going to die. And he went, okay. And so he left. He sat across from me, read this letter, and it was a textbook amends. I thought, "Oh my gosh!" He's like, "What is that?" Like, you know. By this time, I'm you know, living and all this stuff. And I'll never. Forget, I still wouldn't. I still was like, "Yeah, no." I was doing fifth step with my sponsor because I did several fifth steps with about Dave at that time, and she said something that changed my life forever. So I want you guys to hear this. I say this a lot. If you've heard me, know me for five minutes. You've heard. I heard me say this about Dave, but we're doing this this step. And she said, I have to ask you one question, Lisa. Did God change you? Absolutely. My DNA has changed. I didn't just stop drinking. I am a completely different person. And she said, well, how arrogant of you, how selfish of you, but you think that God can only change you, That God can't change others. You think God's only for alcoholics? Oh, I just looked at go, so I guess I better be going out one day because so I think you are. So we went on a date, and here we are. So it changed my life because it opened the door. Remember in step two, we're open-minded, and that literally changed my life, and I think it changed days, too. So I just have to talk about that story because I think it's really important for all of us to hear. All right. We need to keep moving. I know. Um, we, families of alcoholics anonymous, keep few skeletons in the closet. Everyone knows the other's alcoholic troubles. This is a condition which ordinary life will produce untold grief. There might be scandalous gossip, laughter at the expense of other people, and a tendency to take advantage of intimate information. Among us, these are rare occurrences. We do talk about each other a great deal, but almost invariably temper such talk by a spirit of love and tolerance okay let's go to the bottom of the page most alcoholics are enthusiasts good god they run to extremes at the beginning of recovery a man will take as a rule one of two directions he may either plunge into a frantic attempt to get his feet into business he may be so enthralled by his new life that he talks little or nothing else all right let's turn let's go to the next page i want to read one more paragraph and i want to comment on that the head of the middle of the page the head of the house ought to remember that he is mainly to blame for what befell the home he can scarcely square the account in his lifetime but he must see the danger of over concentrating on financial success although financial recovery is on the way for many of us we found that we could not place money first for us material well-being always followed spiritual progress it never proceeded i just want to say that as an alcoholic I had a really, I, I don't, I didn't have my sponsor now that I had in the beginning. And my first sponsor was very, I don't even know how to describe her personality. She, she saved my life, but she would, she would not, when she gave me a direction, there was no, it was black and white. You followed it or she was out. And so I was gone four or five nights a week. The first year and a half, two years of my sobriety. I had my home group three nights, and I carried the message at two different places at night because I couldn't do it during the day because the boys and Dave came home and watched. So that was a lot. And Dave was getting pissed off about it. And so one time my sponsor came over, and we were doing some step work. She was in the, she was in the front yard. She was about to drive away, and she goes, I'll see you tonight. And Dave goes, she's not going tonight. And she was like, what? He's like, I've got plans, and you know, I'm, I'm tired. She, she's going to stay home tonight and watch the kids. And she looked at Dave and said, well, I hope you like having a drunk wife, Ooh, and got in the car and drove off, and I thought, oh, God, and Dave was like, who is that? <laughs>
2: I'm not sure I was that nice about it. <laughs>
1: no, he wasn't, because he called her some names. Yeah. But you know what I did? Guess what I did that night? I went to the meeting. I did not get a new sponsor. That woman saved my life, because she was not afraid to tell Dave the truth, she was not afraid to tell me the truth. I went to that meeting and I haven't had a drink in 14 years.
2: I'll tell you, I fought that truth for a long time. You sure did. Especially early on where, you know, as I alluded to before, you know, we have four kids and man, you know, I'm busting my butt at work all day, lots of stress, come home. She's leaving. I'm walking in. Here's four kids. Homework, dinner, you know, all this stuff and uh you know it i just couldn't get it it just it just did not make sense and so you know in the book it talks about financial success it's just the old school assuming the man is the, the alcoholic and going to work or whatever but in in lisa's case you know she was all in and it was it was gone as she said you know several several nights a week and it finally it finally dawned on me and i think i said this when we did the, the workshop previously You know, as as the spouse or significant other of an alcoholic, it it comes down to a very simple question. Do you want to be with this person part time or not? Because they, they have another job now, another commitment that's required and it's mandatory if they're gonna be sober. So you can be with her part time sober Or you're either going to be with her drunk, which means you're not going to be with her at all. That's the choice. And if you want someone who you're like, you have a hundred percent of them and a hundred percent of their time, and which to me can literally get very codependent and unhealthy, honestly, then you shouldn't be married or with an alcoholic just shouldn't. And, and that's, maybe that's tough. And maybe that's people are sitting there going, oh my God, that's the situation I'm in or whatever, but that's my experience. And I've got to this knowledge over time. It took a lot of baggage and heartache and things to get through there, but finally have, have just decided that I would rather be with Lisa 80% of the time that maybe a normal non-alcoholic couple would be together but I'm with her that 80% and it's glorious because she's sober. And if, you know, and if not, then we, you know, we wouldn't be together. We just wouldn't, you know,
1: well, that's the she'd either be, you make I, the yeah. I mean, when I, when we like, got no. divorced,
2: I was like, I want I somebody want who's a hundred percent. I can't deal. I mean, frankly, it wasn't even 80%. It was like, felt like less than 50. And I think, you know, in my head it was 20, but, and that's when, when I decided I, I wanted out.
1: But the thing, too, is it balances out, you guys. Yeah. It was only like that in the beginning. It feels like it's forever, but it totally balances out. I am not gone five nights a week now. And, well, no. yeah, no. <laughs> with Maggie, with work, but it's not so much recovery anymore. And yeah. it's not, it just balances out. I had to create a foundation. Right? I just had to create a right. foundation. The that that early, early days are the toughest. They though, because are.
2: You've just gone are. through yeah. potentially years of not having yeah. them fully there.
1: Yeah.
2: And not just that, but it was like, it's off the charts. Bad. Usually you're dealing with DWIs and getting out of jail. <laughs> I'm a jail <and> girl, <laughs> all, you know, and, and, you know, all the, the stuff and man, you, you're like, okay, you're sober. We need you here hundred percent. So we've, we're kind of couldn't hit this point hard enough, I nope, guess, in not some respects, the but, uh,
0: are you the loved one of an alcoholic our family support group serves as a community for friends loved ones and family members of alcoholics to learn about alcoholism understand how to help an alcoholic and experience an improved quality of life regardless of the alcoholics recovery we have weekly support meetings that meet virtually and in person as well as a monthly speaker meeting to find out more about our family support group Visit org slash family.
1: Okay, the bottom of the page. Each As each member of the resentful family begins to see his shortcomings and myth them to others, he lays a basis for helpful discussion. Just like we just talked about, it's awesome. These family talks will be constructed, but they can be carried on without heated argument, self-pity, self-justification, or resentful criticism. Little by little, mother and children will see they ask too much and father gives too little. Giving rather than getting will become the guiding principle forever. <laughs> Assume, on the other hand, that father has had the onset a stirring spiritual experience. Okay, other than that, overnight, if it were, he is a different man. He becomes a religious enthusiast. He is unable to focus on anything else. As soon as society, as soon as his sobriety begins to be taken as a matter of course, the family may look at the strange new dad with apprehension and then irritation. There's talk about spiritual matters morning, noon and night. He may demand the family find God in a hurry or exhibit amazing indifference to them and say he is above worldly considerations. He may tell mother that he is relig- he's been religious who's her- been religious all of her life, that she doesn't know what she's talking about and that she'd better get his brand of spirituality while there's tear of time. When father takes this tact, the family may react unfavorably. They may be jealous of a God who's stolen dad's affection. While grateful he drinks no more, they may not like the idea that God has accomplished the miracle where they fell. They often forget father was beyond human aid, and they may not see why their love and devotion did not straighten him out. Dad is not so spiritual after all, they say. He means to right his past wrongs, but why all this concern for everyone in the world but his family? This is like but me oh my god just read this i just cringe okay what about his talk of god uh, that will take care of them they suspect father is a bit balmy he is not so unbalanced as they might think many of us have experienced dad's elation we have indulged in spiritual intoxication i gotta stop there okay so i got back from rehab and i'm like Oh my God, you're not going to believe this. Like this thing is called an allergy and this thing is called an obsession. I have a mind and a body problem. Okay, let me sit down. I'm going to do this this model up on the board. I'm going to get this white. I'm going to show you this, this, this allergy that's called a, a disease model. And David's like, I don't give a shit. Why? <laughs> what are you talking? I just want you to stop drinking, man. And I'm like, no, no, no open the book, you know, I'm like, I swear I did that. And I got back and I'm like, I'm just an alcoholic. He goes like, no shit. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, I'm I like what's for dinner? <laughs> 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 it's really so simple. <laughs> I wish I had a camera. Saying, I'm like, well, you're not as excited as I am. He's like, No. <laughs> I know you guys have all been there, I swear, but the thing about intoxication is, my sponsor always says, which I love this, intoxication's never good, and I was highly intoxicated when I got back, just like I was intoxicated with alcohol, I was intoxicated with this whole spiritual journey, I was excited about it, and I have to tell you, I'm more excited today, 14 years later, than I even was then, I still love it, but I don't, Push it on him. I thought he needed it too, mm-hmm. right?
2: <laughs> Probably true. <okay>. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, it's but like, it it's like you, don't, you
1: don't push it on a woman who doesn't want it. Right? No, it's so, not the time yeah. and the place to do that. Yeah. So, all right. Okay, so, uh, yes, the bottom of page 129. We're going to jump ahead. Though the family does not fully agree with dad's spiritual activities, they should let him have his head. Even if he displays a certain amount of neglect towards them and his family, it is well to let him go as far as he likes in helping other alcoholics. During- clear it
2: once. Up. Okay. Who wrote this? Alcoholic, <laughs> clear it right here. Perfect example. <laughs> He's not, you know, it's not the person sitting at home going, where are they? <laughs> There's four kids here, hello. So anyway, just, this is a perfect example of that.
0: Are you or someone you love struggling with the inability to stop drinking? At the Magdalen House, we believe that education about alcoholism and recovery is crucial to helping more alcoholic women and their families recover. Our staff is available to provide speakers to the public who will discuss the disease of alcoholism, how to help someone who may be struggling, and more available resources. To request a speaker, please visit our website at magdalenhouse.org education.
1: During this first days of convalescence, this will do more to ensure his sobriety than anything else. I was getting out this book, reading it to him, and he was like, stop. (laughs) I was justifying, just like he was. You see it? It was bad on both parts. Though some of his manifestations are alarming and disagreeable, we think dad will be on a firmer foundation than the man who is placing business or professionals. Decade of me drinking four and a half years of those extremely alcoholically. And I'm telling him that 30 days is going to fix, what, four and a half years of him begging and by kids is going to fix? Do you see how unbalanced that is? He didn't believe me. I lied to him for so many years. And now I'm coming back and going, look, this book has fixed me $7. $7. He spent hundreds of thousands on rehab and all this other stuff, you know. Oh, yeah. I like to charge stuff when I got drunk, too. So there's all that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for bringing that up. <laughs> yeah, I had not brought that up in a long time. No, you haven't. Oh, Actually, funny I how I dug that. something up from
2: the past right there, didn't I?
1: <laughs> and we can laugh about it. Yeah. Okay, so those of us that spent, this is great, page 130. Those of us who spent much time in the world of spiritual may believe have eventually seen the childness of it, childness of it. This dream world has been replaced by a great sense of purpose, accompanied by a growing consciousness of the power of God in our lives. We have come to believe that he would like to keep our head in the clouds with him, but our feet ought to be firmly planted on earth. This is where our fellow travelers are, and this is where our work must be done. These are the realities for us. We have found nothing incompatible with a powerful spiritual experience and a life of sane, happy, usefulness one more suggestion. When a family has spiritual convictions or not, they may well do to examine the principles in which the alcoholic member is trying to live. They can hardly fail to approve these simple uh, principles, though the head of the house still fails somewhat in practicing them. Nothing will help the man who is off to a spiritual tangent so much as the wife who adopts the same spiritual program, making for better practical use for it. Okay. Um, let's go to the next page, 131 page at the very beginning the couple ought to frankly face the fact that each will have to yield here and there if a the family is going to play an effective part in the new life father will necessarily spend much time with other alcoholics but this activity should be balanced new acquaintance who know nothing of alcoholism might be made and thoughtful consideration given their needs the problems of the community might engage attention oh my god this is so crazy Though the family has no religious connections, they may wish to connect with, uh, with or take membership in a religious body. Alcoholics who have derided religious people will be helped by such contacts. Being possessed of a spiritual experience, the alcoholic finds that he is much in common with these people, though he may differ from them on many matters. All right, I'm going to skip to the next paragraph. We have been speaking to you of serious, sometimes tragic things. We have been dealing with alcohol in its worst aspects, but we are not a glum lot. One of my favorite sentences, I love that. If newcomers could see no joy or fun in our existence, they would not want it. We absolutely insist on enjoying life. We try not to indulge in the cynicism over the state of the nations, nor do we carry the world's troubles on our shoulders. When we see a man sinking into the mire of alcoholism, we give him first aid and place what we have at his disposal. For his sake, we do recount and almost relive the horrors of the past. For those of us who have tried to shoulder the entire burden and trouble of others, we find soon that we are soon overcome by them. So we think cheerfulness and laughter make for usefulness. Outsiders are sometimes shocked when we burst into merriment over a seemingly tragic experience out of the past. But why shouldn't we laugh? We have recovered and have been given the power to help others. I remember so when I'm drunk, I'm really, really, really mean to Dave. But everybody else I wasn't mean to. I just was one of those happy, I was in a blackout most of the time. But, uh, but I would I'd get up on coffee tables and dance with the kids and, you know, all kinds of crazy stuff. And I remember like four or five years into my sobriety, um, the boys were, were at Christmas and they jumped up on the coffee table and they started making fun of me. <laughs> and they started dancing on the coffee table like mom does. <laughs> and we all started laughing. Now, that whole scene to somebody from the outside, they would think, what the hell are you guys laughing? That, it was horrible what I did. But my kids started, you see, it took five years, especially for my oldest, our oldest, because he had practically raised his brothers. Couldn't ever have any friends over. He was 13 when I got sober. And for them to start laughing about it, I still cry in that memory. It was beautiful. How crazy that my kids making fun of me being drunk becomes one of the most beautiful memories I have. It's crazy. All right, next page. Everybody knows those in bad health, and those seldom play do not laugh much. so each family play together or separately as much as their circumstances warrant. We are sure God wants us to be happy. I love this paragraph. We cannot subscribe to the belief that this life is a veil of tears, though it was once just like that for many of us. But it's clear that we made our own misery. God didn't do it. Avoid then the deliberate manufacture of misery. But if trouble comes, cheerfully capitalize on it as an opportunity to demonstrate his omnipotence. I I love that paragraph. I can't even tell you. It's almost like spirituality 301 because it's kind of highbrow stuff there. But to learn to capitalize on a tragic situation is an art. It takes practice, and I think Dave and I have really tried to show our kids how to do that, too, because they go through pain, you know. Let's go to the bottom of the page. Many of the doctors who had the opportunity of reading this book, The Manuscript form, told us that the use of sweets was often helpful, of course, depending on the doctor's advice. We thought alcoholics should constantly have chocolate, which I love this, available for its quick (laughs) energy value at all times of fatigue, which Dave and I have that, but that's just because we love chocolate. He added that occasionally, in the night of a vague craving aroused, some would be satisfied by the candy. Many of us have noticed a tendency to eat sweets and have found this practice beneficial. I have to say one thing. I don't know about you guys, but I never had dessert when I was drunk. Ever. It would ruin my buzz. So when I got sober, I discovered desserts. Man, I mean, I love desserts so much, and it's probably made David I fat, but because Dave drinks and eats desserts now. So. <laughs> but. um... But it's just so cool how that is such a, I don't know, life is vibrant. My taste buds are vibrant. And it was never like that before. And it's just cool. All right, I hate this paragraph. Anyway, okay, a word about sex relations. Alcohol is so sexually stimulating to some men that they have overindulged. Couples are occasionally dismayed to find that when drinking is stopped, the man tends to be impotent. Unless the reason is understood, there may be emotional upset. Some of us have had this experience only to enjoy in a few months a finer intimacy than ever. There should be no hesita- hesitancy in consulting a doctor or psychologist if the condition persists. We do not know of many cases where this difficulty lasted long. The alcoholic may find it hard to reestablish friendly relations with his children. Their young minds are impressionable uh, while he's drinking. Without saying so, they may cordially hate him for what he has done to them and to their mother. The children are sometimes dominated by a pathetic hardness and cynicism. They cannot seem to forgive and forget. They may hang on to this for months, long after their mothers accepted dad's new way of living and thinking. In time, they will see. And see means not by my words. See means by my actions. For so long, I was telling them, and I quit trying to do that because my son, would—he is, if you've known him for five minutes, he has a mind of his own. But when he starts seeing me, Instead of hearing me, that's when he started to listen and to watch and to truly forgive.
2: I think I'll add right, real quick. In, okay. in each of our kids, for us, it's been on a different timeline. Some of it had to do with age when Lisa was really drinking. As she said earlier, our oldest was just older when it was all happening, so just way more aware and things like that. You know, our youngest was still so young that he doesn't have any real vivid memories of the whole thing. So, you know, it's going to depend and, and, you know, some kids pick it up, pick up on things easier than others. Some are going to forgive better than others. Some are going to believe quicker than others, but you know, they're, they're going through their own version of even of what I went through, you know? I mean, as Lisa said earlier, she, she lied to me, like to my face, like over (laughs) and over and over for years. And you're just. Like you can't believe anything that comes out of her mouth, but what you can believe is what she's doing, her behavior, like you said, and, and that's the seeing, and that's that, you know, years of seeing her help others and seeing her commitment to it and really seeing her own transformation as, you know, a person, as a mom, as a, you know, a significant other, that's, that's the real deal. But again, my point is with kids, especially it, it's going to be probably a different timeline for, for each one of them.
1: Exactly. I want to say this one thing about too, um, our youngest, we started seeing some behavior in him that I recognized for sure about 18 years old. And at 20, my, our youngest son committed himself to, he was a drug addict and went to rehab. and. So many times, it was so hard. I'm telling you, it is hard when it's your son. I mean, I've sponsored women. I'm like, okay, so let's just turn to the book when you know, they call me about their own kids. I'm like, let's turn to the book and let's look and see what the book says. But when it's yours, <laughs> oh yeah, no. I remember calling Cindy at one point and I go, he's at the drug dealer's house and I'm going to get him. And she's like, no, you're not. And I'm like, yes, I am. You don't understand, he's gonna die. And I'm telling you this because I didn't go get him, but I'm telling you this because when he went, he was gone for three months and he came back. We had this lunch one time and he said, you know, mom, I just want to thank you because I don't know if I would have gone away to rehab. I knew I was dying and I knew I needed help, but you showed me that if you can do it, I can do it. And you made recovery look attractive because I watched you do it. So you never know whose life you're going to affect, and it's not just your own. It's never just your own. So how cool is that that our son could see that, and it just made him more open-minded to it. He didn't look at alcoholism as being a negative, He not negative, but he didn't look at it as being a curse. It's a disease. And I just think that's the coolest story. He just watched.
2: I think there's a bigger point there, too, is you you really don't know who's watching. You know, you may assume your spouse or your kids are kind of, sort of, but there there are hundreds and hundreds of people, I think, that are watching each of you guys every day that you're completely unaware of, that have been around you in in the bad times, and now are seeing this transformation, and and you're having an effect on, on them and an impact that you don't even know.
1: All right. Um, In time, they will see that he is a new man. In their own way, he will let them know. When this happens, they can be invited to join in morning meditation. Then they can take part in the daily discussions without rancor or bias. From that point on, progress will be rapid. Marvelous results often follow such a reunion. Whether the family goes on a spiritual basis or not, the alcoholic member has to if he would recover. The others must be convinced of his new status beyond the shadow of a doubt. Seeing is believing to most families who have lived with a drinker. Here's a case in point. One of our friends is a heavy smoker and a coffee drinker. There is no doubt he overindulged. Seeing this and meaning to be helpful, his wife commenced to admonish him about it. He admitted he was overdoing these things, but frankly said that he he was not ready to stop. His wife is one of those persons who really feels there is something rather sinful about these commodities, so she nagged, and her intolerance finally threw him into a fit of anger. He got drunk. Of course, our friend was wrong, dead wrong. He had to painfully admit that and mend his spiritual fences. Though he is now most effective member of Alcoholics Anonymous, he still smokes and drinks coffee, and neither his wife nor anyone else stands in judgment. She sees she was wrong to make a burning issue out of such a matter and when his more serious elements were rapidly cured. I want to talk about that for a second. I don't want that story to ever have the um, connotation or the implication that this woman got this guy drunk because she was nagging him. That's not what this story is about. This story is about separate lives and that this guy, had, he was not spiritually fit. Because no matter if Dave, I mean, Dave, I got divorced. He wasn't nagging me. I got divorced and I didn't drink. That's why we lay the spiritual foundation. So no matter what anyone says or does, I've got a very strong spiritual foundation and a connection with God. All that did for this guy was show him that he needed to enlarge his spiritual life so if his wife nagged him or not, it wouldn't cause him to drink. That's not what caused him to drink. But his wife, on the other hand, is like, it's not worth it. That's not worth it. Like, that's what Dave and I have learned. It's not worth, like, I have to pick and choose our battles. Like, am I really going to bring that up? Pick and choose. Last night, and I'm sorry, Dave and I got into a big argument. We did. And I came out of my closet, and he was really, it was really hard. And I said, I'm really trying hard not to. I prayed with my closet. That's what I was doing. And he knows it. I'm really, it's really hard. I'm trying really hard not to be upset with you right now. Can we just talk about what's going on? And we sat and talked about it. And he was trying to solve. you know, he's trying to give I, go, I don't need your solution. I just want you to understand where I'm coming from. And we sat and talked about it. You guys, we would have never been able to do that years ago. It, it was cool. Was I still irritated with him? Yes. <laughs> the irritation doesn't go away. But we have a toolkit, we have a toolbox, and we both reach into it because we're feeding the partnership. I didn't want to, I wanted to be pissed off, I wanted to be mad, I wanted to show him blah blah, blah you know. But we just do that. And it was really cool. It's not without arguments and all this stuff that they're talking about in here. But there's a solution. And this is how our relationship is, is better because I'm an alcoholic. Anything? Okay. We have but three mottos, which are, upper um, and they are, first things first, live and let live, and easy does it. Those slogans you hear in AA all the time, low-hanging fruit slogans in AA, this is in the family afterward. Easy does it does not approach, does not refer to the steps. Okay? I got through the steps in about three or four weeks. (laughs) Live and let live is not that I'm going to be a doormat. Live and let live is exactly what I was just telling you about this argument that Dave and I had last night and how we approach it differently than we would have ever. That is the program, the spiritual program of Alcoholics Anonymous showing up in both of our lives. It's a family problem. It's a family solution. And um, I just, I want to thank Dave because he was voluntold to come to this <laughs> workshop. But I think it's really important, especially for the husbands and, and the spouses, doesn't husband, of um, women who are newly sober because it is hard. There's no doubt, it is hard. But it makes, for us, is made our relationship stronger. And uh, I have to say, I have to tell you, I miss drinking sometimes. I do. My whole family drinks. I get to pour the old fashions and I get to be the designated driver, but I have to understand two things. One, I lost my privilege. That's just the bottom line. It's not a negative thing. It's just a fact. And the second thing is the suitable substitute that I have found in Alcoholics Anonymous is that. And I say this all the time, but it's just so true. No glass of wine ever gave me the high of when I see a woman helping another woman or when I see a woman's lights come on my friends and my family who get to drink, they don't get to witness the transformation. That's the suitable substitute. And that is why, yeah, I miss it sometimes, but I have that. And that's what's given me the transformation. And it's just, it's a cool
2: way to live. Yeah, I think in closing, I just kind of reiterate two things. One is if you're the significant other of an alcoholic, I'll just reinforce, it is hard. And you think uh, it was hard before and you're ready for it to be over and you're ready for things to be normal again. And it's gonna take time. And they're probably, in a way, in a good way, they're not ever gonna be like they were before. You know, and I think Lisa and I are a perfect example of that. But the other thing I would say is if you're the recovering or recovered alcoholic, man, you just, the, the awareness of what this chapter talks about and what your significant other is going through, you got to recognize that. And you got to give them a little bit of grace and you got to cut them some slack. Because, you know, if, if you don't, it, I guarantee you it's not going to end well. It's just not. So I, I understand the excitement and enthusiasm and the joy of recovery, and you can feel it and see it even in, in the next step graduations and stuff like that. And it's, it's gotta be easy to just let that consume you, but you've gotta also recognize what this chapter talks about. It's the damage that you created. It's the resentment that still is there. And it's that the fact that that person that you're with may not be coming along with you as quickly as you want. And I think that, that those two things on both sides is, is how relationships will continue and can continue and ultimately thrive.
1: All right. Yeah. So any questions or anything that anybody wants to, we have about five minutes. Anybody have anything that they want to talk about? Yes. Hi.
0: How was your, like, before you started drinking? Yes. Not while you were drinking? Yes. How does that compare to to once you got sober and started
1: home? Me, my life, or our relationship? Um, both. I don't know. Okay. So, I did not drink alcoholically from day one. Dave and I had a lot of fun in our 20s. Even our early 30s. It was a lot of fun. And I think Dave missed that. I think that was one of the things, Dave had to mourn me not drinking anymore either because it was fun together, right? So, but it became so bad. (laughs) I- Not fun. So not fun. I was delusional about that part, thinking that's what I wanted back. Like I could never get that back, right? But if you think about it, our relationship was falling apart in that moment. Our alcoholism did not cause our relationship to fall apart. what it did cause is us to put it on hold (laughs) and then when I got sober it became blaring so our relationship was falling apart during that time and we were not taking care of it we were sweeping it under the rug so when I started drinking heavily Dave could use that moment as an excuse that why our relationship was falling apart we had to go through a lot of therapy (laughs) to, to see those two things so That's why it has to be a different relationship. We're two different people, and it has to be a different relationship. It is completely different. And I can't even describe how or what it looked like. All I can tell you is that I don't want that back. And it's weird because I always thought I wanted that back. It seemed fun, but it wasn't. It was delusional. Delia? Hey, on that note, I just want to um, comment. I was fortunate enough to know you guys a little bit during your dating years.
0: Yes. And you were so crazy in love, and you still are. And just thank you for sharing your love story because it's beautiful in recovery and
1: um, just a huge blessing. Thank you. You go ahead. Yeah. Yes. Do you vote uh, for a control step program mm-hmm. or no? I do. He does. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I do. Yeah, we, we oh, so no, much I do. Oh, no, I quit doing it. I, I finished a 12-step. I don't do anymore. No no, I'm joking with you. I, I uh, will do it for the rest of my life. I, God willing. Uh, I, yes. Dave hasn't. He did the steps, kind of a hybrid of them, but I'm sorry I'm speaking for him, but he didn't like it. Hold on.
2: <laughs> well, I, in, in, I, I don't think I can... The the Al-Anon meeting I went to wasn't for me. I I, I don't think I can make a blanket statement that it's not a good thing because I I think it's proven that it is for for some and others. But the meeting I went to, I I went a couple times. I felt worse when I left. I mean, it was horrible. It was like just such a depressing, you know, whining and just, oh, man. And so, I, I, I mean, I just quit. Like, I'm like, this is it. And so, as Lisa said, you know, once once we kind of got back together, I mean, I, I, would go to her, her group and I would sit in with the alcoholics. alcoholics. Cause it just felt more practical. I we guess. were more and, fun and it was, <laughs> well, it was way more educational, you know, and it, 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 it gave me an understanding, um, of what yeah. Lisa was attracted to. Yeah. It gave me an education on just the disease itself. Yeah you know, the, when you read this, it's true. Even, you know, however many years later it's, it's very real of what what we're going through and had gone through and things like that. So that was kind of my version of it. And then, you know, as, as she said, it's, it took me forever to figure out that it's not about not drinking. Like I still have a problem with that in my head. I'm very does. logical guy and I'm like, well, yeah, it is, you know, like it's still,
1: it
2: and I, And I guess I get it, but I don't get it still.
1: I want to tell you too, that's why we created family support because our family support practice, I'm bragging about it, is very different than a normal Al-Anon. It is hope filled. It's solution based. It is completely different than any kind of, and I've been, I've been lots of them and helped them facilitate that. It's different than any kind of Al-Anon, just like Maggie's is different. You know, we're hope filled We're solution based, very simple. Our family support program is based on those principles as well. And I think Dave would like it today if he went there um, because it was, it's just very different. You're welcome, Floyd. It was very different than us. <laughs> because it's just, yeah. Anyway. Yes. Thank you. And I knew you did at least the start. that was more directed for Dave. No. Exactly, I knew. Yeah, yeah, I knew exactly what you were (laughs) doing. Do the (laughs) Maguire. Yeah. I think everybody
2: needs to find their their version, you know, and maybe that's not because there's really just one book and one version for alcoholics, but I think for the non-alcoholic, you know, the the fundamental part of it to me is you need to get educated about what your significant other is going through, and Mm -hmm. whatever that is to me, it's whether it's reading the book, help studying the book. You know, I do talk. Uh, you know, like my name is out there for a lot of the people that Lisa works with, where husbands or or boyfriends or whatever are calling me, and we just like it's what we talked about earlier. We have a similar experience, and and uh, you know, I can talk to them about you know my experience um, and how I kind of got through it and in that journey. So, I think everybody that's got a you know, it's kind of a non alcoholic has to pick their their way, but the fundamental. Part of it is you've, you've got to get educate on, educated on it. Because if you're not willing to do that, you're probably not willing to stay in the relationship. It's just not going to work.
1: I mean, as educated as Dave is, he still doesn't get it, you guys. <laughs> he, he is like, I, okay, I, I, okay. how about those cowboys? I mean, we just can't talk about it to a certain extent because he just is not going to get it unless he's one of me. I mean, you know, come yeah. on. So, yes. So you, you were saying that back from rehab yes you were you were telling dave look 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 at look, this look, look, look. i did and you know he's like you're i don't care you know the kids or whatever yep my in my the question, beginning in the beginning right,
0: my, my question is um what what would you suggest if um you
1: know someone's husband is not alcoholic they they've
0: um you know let them know about the Mm -hmm. family afterwards and and invited them to come to birthday night, um,
1: you know, but also talk to their sponsor. What could you suggest that um, someone would do or not do? Or when do do you stop? When do you just not, like, ask anymore? Okay. Mm -hmm. Okay. So remember what we talked about when we were going through the book? I was saying that to Dave and I quit doing that. My sponsor said, quit focusing on Dave. Don't talk to him about recovery anymore. Turn your attention to a woman that you can help. Stop talking to him. And then when I did that, I started to get better. I started to get more spiritually centered. I'm like, oh my God, I love this. I love watching her come alive. I love this. I love-. Guess what Dave did? He was watching me the whole time. It was about what I was doing, not what I was saying. I'm a liar to him. I'm a liar to him. But when he started seeing the change, then he was like, okay, knock, knock, knock. Uh, Can I talk to you about something? (laughs) I got a letter to read you. I'm like, okay. I quit talking to him about it. That's the number one thing. Quit. Talk. They don't believe you. And you're doing more damage when you're trying to convince them. Focus on an alcoholic. That's what your primary purpose is, anyway. And let God do it. Let God show him. That's what I did, anyway. Yeah,
2: I think that's dead on. I would say, though, that there still should be some focusing on them. It's just <laughs> probably a little more. Oh, my God. Uh,
1: you know, <laughs> oh, oh, my yeah. God. We'll you you. Yeah. <laughs> Boy, oh,
2: my God. Are you agreeing with me or not? Because I need to know.
1: I'm here for you, bro. Okay, good. Oh, yeah. my God. No, I mean, because there's just I some very simple... I do you think about that? We'll all, you guys some... all think alike, I swear. Well, I didn't
2: mean just that. But, <laughs> <laughs> um, we, we kind of skipped that paragraph. Yeah, we um, So, no, really, okay, there yeah. there's just some fundamental things in the relationship that you want that person to just re-up and reinvest in that isn't about selling me on the book and the program and all that. It's just... Let's let's just reconnect and talk about whatever. The kids, dinner, yeah. just normal stuff that we haven't even been able to do for yeah. years. So true. Like you got to start there. You know, it, it it early on, I I could care less about it. I was like good for you. Thank God you're not, you know, drunk and that's great, but can we just try to get back to a little sense of normalcy in in a very fundamental practical way almost you know and and maybe for you guys it just seems like what like that's crazy but from my perspective that was what i needed like i just needed somebody to show up you know and pick up the kids not drunk and to make you know to whatever just a very normal day to day things so I don't know if that's great advice, but that's, that's what I would tell you is you really need to focus on that first and instead of trying to convert me into the, you know, 12 (laughs) steps or whatever. I
1: I wish I was a maniac and my sponsor was like, quit talking to him about recovery. I'm like, but he needs to hear it.
2: (laughs) He's sick.
1: (laughs) Yeah, he is. Oh my God. You guys, I know that you, you have. To have your own experience, but if there's anything that I can tell you, just learn from that. It's almost—it's so embarrassing now. I—I I mean, I would just like it because it's insulting. <laughs> like he's not smart enough. I have to explain it to him. <laughs> oh, my oh my god, it's so embarrassing. Okay, anything else? Carolyn, oh, did you? Have, oh, I just oh Carolyn, I can't <laughs> see your hand, well, sissy. God, I up and I it back oh, you did? Uh, no, I did? I was just going to. I think I understand what Nate was. My sponsor
0: told me the same thing, you know, don't talk about your recovery. Don't talk
1: about going to meetings because you've been so selfish for so long. Why don't you go home and ask him how his day was? Yes. Why don't you ask about your kids? Yes. And so that's where I have to learn. Because we think that we're doing them a favor because, like, I'm sober. And it's like, they're like... Yeah, it
0: should have been a long time ago. Yeah. <laughs> um, I, I, we want accolades so for so stuff that we what should they be doing. Was
1: yeah. Yeah. It was yeah. like that, you know, so that's what I was told to just yeah. shut up and if I want to talk about my recovery, call her. But go yeah. home and ask him how this is. Exactly. Like I wanted a trophy for something I should have been doing for the whole time. <laughs> 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 yeah. Anyone else Thanks for having us. All right, thank you guys. Thank you so much.
0: This has been a re-release from the Magdalen House podcast for our From the Vault series. We hope you've enjoyed this podcast. Tune in every Wednesday for a new release from one of our four series. To learn more about the Magdalen House and the services we offer, visit magdalenhouse.org or follow us on your favorite social media channels.